All right, we are back on the top of this segment. I do want to put a plug in for Into the Buzzsaw, subtitled Leading Journalists Expose the Myth of a Free Press. It was edited by our pal Christina Borgeson. It contains a piece by Gary Webb, which I think, dear listener, you must read. You're also probably going to want to read uh, the essay in there from Michael Levine, who spoke to us 10 years ago. Joining us now from New York is Michael Levine, a 25-year veteran of the Drug Enforcement Administration. He's uh, been a distinguished author and was going to here to talk to us today about uh, someone he knew, Gary Webb, interviewed him several times and lend some perspective to what has just happened. Welcome, Michael Levine. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Doug. I have in my hand here, uh, Into the Buzzsaw, a series of um, essays about people who, uh, like yourselves, had some less than favorable... Uh, experiences with the mainstream media in this country. Your essay, in fact, is right in front of Gary Webb's in the first yeah. edition of the book. Sounds like you guys had a lot of parallel uh, experiences with the drug trade running through Central America and how you tried to report on it. I had the experience of trying to report first as an insider. Uh, when I say as an insider, I was a, a high-level official. I was the country attache to Argentina and Uruguay for the Department of Justice. At a, at a period of time, I was uh, the senior U.S. law enforcement officer in the whole southern cone. And at that time, uh, we were running the biggest undercover case into cocaine trafficking in South America in history. And Central Intelligence came in and uh, destroyed the case. What we didn't know is that we were going after CIA assets. I wrote this story and other stories in two books, Deep Cover and The Big White Lie. Gary did a, an ama amazing job of researching from the States back, in essence, the same story that I had lived and, and could have testified to as a witness, but not only a witness, as an expert. Right. As someone who was a, f who, if, if Gary had brought his case to court, I was a powerful witness to that everything he said was accurate and correct, and people should have been indicted within our government. As if that weren't enough, another colleague of mine came forward with Gary and appeared on a radio show that I did in New York back in 1998, and his name was Celerino Castillo, and he was a DEA agent assigned to uh, Central America, and he had done his best at that time to actually arrest Oliver North. This is the same conspiracy of individuals in our government who were running massive amounts of white powder into the brains and veins of black and white children in the United States. Gary's piece focused on the black community. My feeling was, and, and I said this to Gary on the air and off the air, that uh, he didn't go far enough. The Gary should have accused, as we were, uh, elements of our government, central intelligence in particular, of betraying the American people. And really what was even more prophetic was that uh, what my feeling was and other experts was that if CIA was allowed to get away with this drug trafficking and the other criminal activities, criminally inept activities, American people would pay big time in terrorist acts uh, and in uh, what's happening now, loss of our Constitution. And we were predicting this as early as 1998, that uh, an agency, an American agency that functioned on so, such a criminal and inept level 
could not possibly be depended upon to protect us, and in fact were supporting people, drug traffickers and terrorists, who one day were going to do us harm. And Gary Webb was right at the forefront of those saying that. I would like to really stress today in talking to you, DeMichael, about the fact that the, the L.A. Times obituary uh, sort of repeats the what people were sort of stuck to Gary Webb was that this was a flawed story that he'd been involved with. It somehow uh, wasn't correct. But, uh, you know, rereading his essay in Into the Buzzsaw, The Mighty Wurlitzer Plays On, and familiar such as I am with what, uh, what went down, it seems to me that uh, we should amplify your previous statement that he just didn't go far enough, that he actually did have it right, and there were no substantive er- errors, really, in what he was presenting to the public. None whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, we did a radio show in 1998 with Gary where we played the testimony of Central Intelligence Inspector General Hitz, H-I-T-Z, who testified before Congress while the World Series was on, of course, that, yes, in fact, Central Intelligence had protected some of those drug traffickers that Gary alluded to. In essence, the Inspector General of CIA before Congress, by the way, Congress, a Congressional Oversight Committee headed up by Porter Goss, who at this moment is the head of Central Intelligence, admitted, in essence, to everything that Gary said. And no one in mainstream media picked it up. That's why we did the show. And then I wrote a piece in July of 1998. I don't know whether you have it or not. I have it in front of me, July 19th. Yeah, July 19th, 98. Is anyone apologizing to Gary Webb? Is the name of the piece. Because no one in mainstream media picked up that central intelligence on the congressional record told exactly what Gary Webb had been saying in his piece, Dark Alliance. They support the biggest cocaine traffickers in the history of of our so-called drug war. And that support ended with not only massive amounts of drugs going into the black community, but going into all American communities. I should tell one last little anecdote about Gary and myself. Uh, We met on the Montel Williams show in 1998. And we were with the Congressman Rangel and Congresswoman Waters and discussing the, the, uh, the, the factual nature of, what, of our allegations. And seated next to Gary was a, mem- uh, a representative, I can't remember his name, uh, but Gary and I, Gary remembered him very well. And he was a representative of accuracy in media, a very, you know, a right-wing uh, media watch organization who leaned over to Gary before the camera went on and said, we've got plans for you, my friend. Uh, I leaned into Gary and said, you know, you expected this, didn't you? you? And Gary, well, he said yes, but Gary was kind of in shock. And I don't think these plans were, you know, were anything more than the destruction of his career. Uh, I didn't then and I don't now. Gary and I spoke long about that. And uh, again, I was sadly prophetic when I said, they're going for your career, you know. And they did get it. And, and so, you know, sad that Gary finished his piece that way. You know, I, I do this little show this in New York that's on listener-sponsored radio because no sponsors would uh, sponsor what I say. WBAI. Yeah, WBAI in New York. Okay. And I, I do the show. I don't even want to do a show anymore, Doug. I'm tired of it, except that I really feel I, that uh, there are so few voices warning America of of this dark future right around the corner that I've, I'm just compelled to keep doing it. And I, I don't even think this, that we can turn away anymore. 
Thanks a lot, Doug, and I, I wish you the best of luck in, in your own journalistic uh, future, which just by putting me on the air, uh, you're taking a chance, my friend. Well, will you do it on the, when the East Coast? We'll do it on the West. Thanks, my friend. Michael, thank you. Bye. That was expert on America's drug war and journalist Michael Levine. He's been the author of a couple of national bestsellers, Deep Cover and The Big White Lie. I I really liked the essay that Michael Levine wrote, Is Anyone Apologizing to Gary Webb? I think I'd like to excerpt it for you because I think he summarized some very key points here. Gary Webb was the journalist who, in a well-researched, understated article entitled The Dark Alliance, linked the CIA-supported Contras to cocaine and weapons being sold to a California street gang. He ended up being hounded out of journalism. And guess what? This is writing in July 19, 98. The CIA finally admitted yesterday, in the New York Times, no less, that they in fact did, quote, work with, unquote, the Nicaraguan Contras while they had information that they were involved in cocaine trafficking to the United States. An action known to us court-qualified experts and federal agents as conspiracy to import and distribute cocaine, a federal felony punishable by up to life in prison. To illustrate how us regular walking around non-CIA types are treated when we violate the law, while I was serving as a DEA supervisor in New York City, I put two New York City police officers in a federal prison for conspiracy to distribute cocaine when they looked the other way at their friend's drug dealing. We could not prove they earned a nickel, nor that they helped their friend in any way. They merely did not do their duty by reporting him. They were sentenced to 10 and 12 years, respectively. The interesting thing to me about the Webb article is that the CIA is provably, and now admittedly, responsible for much larger-scale drug trafficking than Webb alleged or even imagined in his report. In fact, according to a confidential DEA report entitled Operation Hun, which I used as part of the proof to back up the undercover experiences detailed in my book, The Big White Lie, the CIA was actively blocking DEA from indicting many members of the ruling government of Bolivia from 1980 to 1983, during a time period that these same people were responsible for producing more than 90% of the cocaine consumed in the U.S. As CIA Inspector General Hitz himself stated before Congress, it was during this time period that Nicaraguan Contra supporters were buying large amounts of cocaine from these same CIA-protected Bolivians. The gang that can't spy straight certainly did a lot more damage to this nation than, for example, computer company owner Will Foster, who was sentenced to 93 years in prison for possession of 70 marijuana plants for medicinal use. How, you ask, do they get away with it? Well, for one thing, mainstream media, the so-called Fourth Estate, does all it can to help. During the Iran-Contra hearings, when Senators Kerry and D'Amato were making pronouncements before the Senate indicating that the CIA was involved with drug trafficking, Catherine Graham, the owner of the Washington Post, addressed a class of CIA recruits at CIA's Langley headquarters in November 1988 by saying, quote, There are some things the general public does not need to know and shouldn't. I believe democracy flourishes when the government can take legitimate steps to keep its secrets and when the press can decide whether to print what it knows. Apparently, CIA protection of drug trafficking was among those secrets. Thus, it should have been no surprise to those CIA agent recruits when Washington Post reporter 
and drug expert Michael Itzikoff wrote that there was no credible evidence linking the CIA-supported Contras to cocaine trafficking. At the same time, very credible evidence was being heard by Senator Kerry's committee, indicating that the Contras may have been the top purveyors of drugs to Americans in our history. Once again, uh, Michael Levine excerpts from Is Anyone Apologizing to Gary Webb? You know, in hearing that, I'm, I'm very sorry that we have not brought Michael Levine back on this program. We're going to have to make an effort to do so this month. Also, our next guest, Robert Perry, who also spoke to us back in 2004. All right, joining us now on the program, or I should say returning to the program, is investigative journalist Robert Perry, who, uh, who actually, uh, working for the Associated Press, first broke the story in 1985 about the Iran Contra connection, and he's here to talk about that and Gary Webb. Uh, welcome back, Robert. Thank you. What amazes me about all this story about about Gary Webb is that uh, they act as though, well, this was never really demonstrated, but you and others were showing this connection 11 years before Gary Webb came on board. Right. We uh, at, at the Associated Press, Brian Barger and I were following leads, uh, what we considered the Oliver North story. At the time, Ollie North was secretly running or handling the war, coordinating the war uh, in Nicaragua out of the White House. This was the war the Contras were fighting against the Sandinistas. And we were tracking the money trails. Um, and in doing that, in the fall of 1985, we came upon you know, increasingly persuasive evidence, including documents and, uh, and, and, and reliable witnesses who were describing that, that the Contras had gotten involved in, in cocaine trafficking, helping the cartels, basically, uh, as a way to raise money. Uh, which was, you know, I guess it was shocking to us, although thinking back on it, it should not have been so surprising. Um, so we did the, we put together finally the first story um, uh, on this in in December of 85. And actually one of the, I, I even interviewed a, a senior person in the White House, in the Reagan-Bush White House, who, who confirmed that they knew about it. The CIA had reported already to them, and they were aware that like a helicopter had been purchased with drug profits for some of the Contra units. So this was not, this was known. Can we, can we maybe even backtrack a little bit? It occurs to me that I've been talking a lot about this uh, up to this point and realizing that a lot of our listeners being students were, were so, you know, in kindergarten when perhaps <laughs> some of this was happening and maybe don't, aren't, aren't as aware as they might be that, um, that what was happening in Nicaragua was a leftist government was uh, displeased, the, government, the U.S. government was displeased with the Sandinistas left-wing government in Nicaragua and was basically funding a mercenary army to overthrow it. Right, and the Congress was getting involved in trying to 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 block this because of the antics and uh, bad behavior of this this Contra army. Right, the Contra army had been involved in a number of human rights violations and effectively acts of terrorism, and Congress uh, objected to that. The Congress was then dominated by Democrats and uh, began to cut off the money first gradually and then sort of in, in a, with some finality by the '85 time frame. So the Contras were looking for other ways to fund themselves, and as was the as the White House was. The White House uh, was arranging money from the Saudi Saudi Arabians. Uh, the Iran Contra connection was that the, the arms sales, the secret arms sales to Iran, were also being funneled back. The profits were being funneled back to some degree to the Contras. So keeping the Contras in the field was a, a high priority of the Reagan administration. And so when the the problem of, of drug trafficking came up. The Reagan-Bush uh, crowd basically saw it as a public relations problem. 
how do you prevent these things from getting too well known to the American people? Because if the American people knew the Contras were involved in drug trafficking, it would make it even harder to get uh, the Congress to reverse itself and and give more money to the Contras. So that was a dilemma that uh, was the backdrop of this. Uh, we now know, though, that the, the actual drug trafficking by the Contras began from the very beginning of their movement uh, back in the 1980-81 time frame when initially the Contras were being trained by the Argentine military, uh, which it was un- involved in very you know, severe anti-communist uh, efforts. Uh, they, they'd done their dirty war in Argentina. They'd gotten involved with the Bolivian cocaine coup and then moved on up to, uh, to Honduras to start training the Contras. And the CIA had reporting on Contras uh, sending drugs to Miami as early as 1981, we now know. Um, so the U.S. government was well aware of the problem, and uh, it was mostly trying to contain it and, uh, and, and prevent the American people from coming to recognize the, the kind of people the United States was working with. By working with the Contras, they bought themselves a certain amount of protection. Uh, they, they knew that the U.S. government at that time was not going to look too too closely at the Contras. If the Contras were flying in a you know flying a plane in or, or uh, bringing um, uh, shipments in uh, of their own, the U.S. would tend to look the other way. It didn't always work that way, but that was. But the cartel saw this as a way to sort of sneak in under the umbrella of a U.S. covert operation. But the worst part, the troubling part, was that. For various reasons, the major news organizations um, had been pretty much brought to heel by the Reagan-Bush crowd at this point. They'd been sort of housebroken. And so the New York Times and the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, did not not give much credence to these stories, even as the evidence kept building up and building up. There was a – basically the New York Times almost led the way in, in, in trying to debunk the Contra cocaine connection. Uh, despite the overwhelming evidence, uh, and and that kind of that created an institutional momentum uh, by the major papers to to make sure the story never was given much credence. And and John Kerry took a brunt of this when he he came out with a report in '89, which said that it was probably the first government report ever to say that the U.S. government had been collaborating with drug traffickers. This was an official Senate report. It didn't even make the front page of these papers. They they all kissed it off with little brief stories aside. To backtrack a bit, I remember so well, I'm, I'm riding along in the car, and I hear an announcement from Ed Meese in November of 86 that, uh, that the Attorney General, Ronald Reagan's longtime friend from his days as a governor here in California, announces that, um, yeah, profits from secret U.S. arms sales to Iran, uh, they'd been diverted to help fund the Nicaraguan Contras. Like, oh yeah, and by the way... Yeah, that was November 25th, 1986, and that was basically the... The first real line of, of cover-ups gave way. We had uh, at AP, we had done some. We continued to do stories on Oliver North's operation. The White House had continued to lie about it. Then a plane of, that was part of North's network was shot down over Nicaragua, and one of the one of the people on board, Eugene Hassabis, survived. He started talking. Uh, we got all the documents from the plane, which led back to other uh, other parts of the White House. We, we began to piece this together much more fully. My recollection, Robert, was that Hassan Fus, as captive by the Nicaraguans, comes forward to say that this is an operation being run from Vice President Bush's office. Right, that the CIA and Vice President Bush's office were running the operation, and that was uh, vehemently denied by uh, by George Bush Sr. 
as well as by Ronald Reagan and a number of other people, they were simply lying. Because their claim was there was no U.S. government connection to the flight, which was flat out wrong, of course. But that was their story, and they were going to stick to it. What we saw really after, the, after, after Mises' announcement of the Iran-Contra connection was, as much as that was a disclosure of some interesting information, certainly, we saw the replacing of the earlier cover-up with a new cover-up. And the second cover-up was really to lay the blame at Oliver North's door and throw in John Poindexter, his boss at the National Security Council, and, and Bill Casey by, by the fall of, uh, of 86. Uh, Casey had collapsed with brain cancer and was dying. So he was kind of tossed in, in, into the... Inconvenient fall guy. Yeah. Right. These are all fall guys. And North even said this when he testified in 87, his famous testimony in 87. He said this, there was a fall guy plan, and I'm the fall guy. Uh, and that was true. May have been one of the few times Ali North told the truth. And along with that was this was a defense line built up to protect the Contra cocaine disclosures uh, incre- with increasing uh, aggressiveness. The New York Times, in particular, started just trying to tear down that story. And the very weak Senate House investigation, the Iran Contra investigation at the time, also sort of put it down and said there was nothing to it. And that sort of set this tone of that, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. And even though there was all this evidence and all these witnesses coming forward by this point, uh, they're all dismissed as, as just making up their stories, you know, trying to embroider their you know, stories that uh, after Iran-Contra to, uh, broke to try to get off somehow. But in this strange world of Washington journalism, while that was recognized, it was, there was never any effort to, to correct or fix the record from the dismissive treatment that these allegations had gotten. And that's when Gary Webb, by, you know, some years later in 96, he shows up with his, because he's come, up, he's come upon information in, in Los Angeles from a case there showing that some of the Contra cocaine had, had, had filtered into the crack cocaine epidemic in south-central Los Angeles and, and other cities in the United States. And, of course, that was, had been devastating, especially to the African-American communities. The Contras were not the, uh, by any means the only way that cocaine was entering the United States, but they were working with the Medellin cartel. They were working with the Mata Ballesteros operation in Honduras. They were working with some of the Cuban-American uh, drug dealers in Miami. So they were very well connected. Webb was looking really at one channel of the cocaine. There, was, there were a number of Contra uh, cocaine channels, we now know. But he was looking at one that really dated back to the early 1980s and, uh, and provided some cocaine for the, for the crack epidemic. The U.S. government, the Reagan-Bush administration, had, was aware that its clients, the Contras, were involved in drug trafficking, that they not only looked the other way, but they frustrated investigations when, when DEA agents and other law enforcement officials try to, to investigate or crack down on this, we, we now know repeatedly the Reagan-Bush administration interceded to prevent those investigations from going forward. If, if there's a criticism of Webb's series, it was that it didn't go far enough, that it was right. far worse than, than, than he had portrayed it. The New York Times, the Washington Post, and the L.A. Times responding to that major crime of state, possibly one of the most egregious crimes of state in memory, those three papers, which had never put the Contra cocaine story on the front page, begin to put it on the front page in the context of attacking Gary Webb and attacking him viciously. These papers weren't calling for the heads of any of the government officials who were complicit in the drug trade. They were calling for the head of a reporter. Right. 
who, who, who dared write about it. Five days ago, Mr. Perry published a piece in consortiumnews.com that I think I should read from. Dated October 4th, 2014, it said, Exclusive. Since the Contra cocaine scandal surfaced in 1985, major U.S. news outlets have disparaged it, most notably when the big newspapers destroyed Gary Webb for reviving it in 1996. But a New York Times review of the movie on Webb finally admits the reality, writes Robert Perry. To quote from the piece, nearly three decades since the story of Nicaraguan Contra cocaine trafficking first appeared in 1985, the New York Times has finally forthrightly admitted the allegations were true, although this belated acknowledgement comes in a movie review buried deep inside Sunday's paper. The review addresses the new film, Kill the Messenger, that revives the Contra cocaine charges in the context of telling the tragic tale of journalist Gary Webb, who himself revived the allegations in 1996, only to have the New York Times and other major newspapers wage a vendetta against him that destroyed his career and ultimately drove him to suicide. The Times Movie Review by David Carr begins with a straightforward recognition of the long-denied truth, which now even the CIA has confessed. Noted Carr, if somebody told you today there was strong evidence that the Central Intelligence Agency once turned a blind eye to accusations of drug dealing by operatives it worked with, it might ring some distant skeptical bell. Did that really happen? Oh, that really happened. Perry notes, it is perhaps nice that the Times stated, quite frankly, that the long-denied scandal really happened even though this admission is tucked into a movie review placed on page AR14 of the New York edition. And the Times reviewers still can't quite face up to the fact that his newspaper was part of a gang assault on an honest journalist who actually got the story right. Noted Mr. Perry, numerous investigations of the story Webb was reporting on have admitted since then that he was basically correct. For instance, in the year 2000, the Republican-controlled House Intelligence Committee grudgingly acknowledged that the stories about Ronald Reagan's CIA protecting contra drug traffickers were true. Before that, a CIA Inspector General's report also admitted that the CIA withheld evidence of contra drug trafficking from federal investigators. That Inspector General's report interviewed senior CIA officials who acknowledged that they were aware of the Contra drug problem, but didn't want its exposure to undermine the struggle to overthrow Nicaragua's Sandinista government. We'd also like to quote from the website titled The Intercept, which prominently features Glenn Greenwald. Their piece by Ryan Devereaux is worth some discussion, but we probably should take a break here and then and devote some time in our third segment to that. So let's, um, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.